Several weeks ago, I was reading one of the websites I read, and they recommended a video by a guy named Jordan Peterson, and I have since discovered that he's sort of hot on the internet right now, and you may have run into him. I had never heard of him before. He's a Canadian. He's a psychology or psychiatry professor or something, and he's apparently gotten himself snarled up with the politically correct police for not using the approved words for everybody that is supposed to use your approved words. And he refused. And he said, I'm not going to use your communist made up words. I'm going to use the words that are normal to the English language and back with you. And so now, as I say, he's kind of hot. But one of the things he said at the end, which is what grabbed me, and I've been thinking about it now for about three weeks, you've all seen what's going on in the culture and in the campuses and so forth. And the comment that he made is it's not by coincidence that the founding person of Western civilization is someone who died unjustly on a cross. And that really struck me. I hadn't really thought of it that way. And I think if I were to describe his philosophy, I would say he's probably stoic. And he goes on to talk about suffering in this world and so forth, and that suffering's inevitable, and there isn't any way you can go through life avoiding suffering. It's going to happen to everybody. And the thing that seems to be animating these people on the campus now is that nobody should suffer. And if somehow you have made anybody suffer, then you're guilty of a grave transgression and you need to be run out of town on a rail or, or something like that. But the, the whole thing is, we shouldn't suffer. And if you leave it there, as I say, his comment was, everybody suffers. Pull up your socks, make the best of your life, improve where you are, improve your family, and just work your way out. You're all going to suffer at some point. Deal with it. And if you stop there, you sort of have Greek Stoic philosophy. And I'm going to suggest that God has a different perspective on that. I will give you the bottom line up front. Forgiveness is a specific antidote for suffering. Now, having said that, let me see if I can build that for you. We didn't read it this week, we read it last week, and we didn't have a midrash. One of the things that Yeshua says back in Luke 23:34, which is just before what Richard read today, is, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. What's going on there? Who's the injured party? The father is the injured party. Those of you who are parents, if somebody killed one of your children unjustly, what would your attitude be? For Yeshua to say, Father, forgive them, which is to say, I know that you are extremely upset about this, but Father, forgive them. And by the way, Yeshua, of course, is suffering physically. But who else is suffering there? God. And what's the antidote for God's suffering? Forgiveness. Now, we need to do some terms here. Forgiveness and atonement are two different things. Completely different concepts. We'll talk about atonement when we get to Yom Kippur later this summer. I'm not talking about atonement here. The other thing is forgiveness is not acceptance. So forgiving someone does not mean accepting the situation. We're not talking about atonement. We're not talking about acceptance. We're talking about forgiveness. 
And that has a specific meaning, and we'll go through some technical stuff on how to get there from here and so forth. But just understand what we're talking about. Acceptance and atonement are great subjects, worthy of sermons in themselves. We'll do that this summer. So, going back to Peterson, the thing that struck me about his comment about Yeshua is Yeshua is the ultimate innocent victim. He is the one that does not deserve in any way, shape, manner, or form what happened to him. And if he can forgive and move on, what's your problem? So he is able to forgive what happened to him. He's able to ask his father to forgive what happened to him. And then he is able to get on with his life. In other words, he, he was raised from the dead. He will come again. So he is moving right along with his life and he is not using the crucifixion and what happened to him unjustly to cripple him for the rest of his life. And in that, he serves as a model for you. Because one of the things that happens when people can't get past a hurt and can't forgive, they become crippled for the rest of their lives. So somebody does something dastardly to you. Happens all the time. If you take that to your heart, and you dwell on that and you do not forgive, what happens is that hurt that was done to you keeps being done to you for the rest of your life. And as somebody once said, that person is now living rent-free in your head. So the thing about forgiveness and lack of forgiveness is if you can't forgive, you become emotionally crippled. Now, what's happening on our campuses is you have people who have not learned, A, that suffering is part of this life, and B, they have not learned to forgive. So every slight that has happened to them gets raised to nuclear levels, and have you ever seen anybody so miserable and angry in your life? Look at these demonstrations with women running around with, I'll leave it at pink hats. Used to be that being told that you had your head up your underside was an insult. Now it's badge of pride somehow. But these people are angry. They're miserable. These are not happy people. These are not people that you want to emulate. These are not people who are living lives that you want to admire. And I will suggest to you that it all goes back to an inability to forgive. An inability to look at a situation and say, I'm going to make a decision to forgive whoever it was and I'm going to move on with my life. What they become is anchored in that past event, and that past event is something they carry around like a ball and chain, dragging this thing around for the rest of their lives. How many of you grew up in dysfunctional families? Everybody raise your hand. Come on, everybody. Up. <laughs> okay. How many of you have had somebody treat you unjustly? How many of you have had a boyfriend or a girlfriend spurn you? How many of you know people who are mad at God? All of those are symptoms of unforgiveness. And to the extent that you take those things into you and you dwell on them, what they become is attachment points for demons. I'll say that again. Somebody does something to you. Your mother, your father, your sister, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your boss. The guy pumping gas, yeah, I don't know. You can't go through life without having somebody do something bad to you. It's part of life. 
If you grab along and hold on to that, what happens is that becomes a place where a demon has an entry to you and that demon will come alongside you and say, Oh, gee, how terrible that so-and-so did that to you. How terrible that that happened to you. How terrible that God let that happen to you. And, well, yeah, it was really terrible. Yeah, you're right. I mean, this is just awful. And what happens is the demon will come in and he'll attach to that. And he'll bring friends. And you wind up far worse off than whatever the original slight or insult or damage was. Because now you got somebody helping you feel sorry for yourself. Now you have somebody explaining to you why the cruddy thing that you were about to do is justified. So, somebody does something cruddy to you. Demon attaches itself. Well, now you got somebody encouraging you as you're about to take vengeance or harm somebody else because of what happened to you. I'm not responsible because my ancestors were slaves. I'm a woman. I'm a white man. I'm a purple giraffe. I am not responsible for anything that happened to me. And by the way, all of this cruddy stuff that I'm about to do is justified because of what happened to me. You heard that? I came from a dysfunctional family. And because I did, I now have an excuse for all of the bad behavior that I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And a demon will walk into your life and he'll encourage you right along and pretty soon you'll be every bit the son of hell as the one who damaged you. That's the way it works. Now, one of the things to understand is God wants to forgive you. This is something he really wants to do. The first thing he's done is he set up the universe so that forgiveness is possible. Now, one of the ways that we grow and progress is by screwing up. The wise man observes somebody else screwing up and takes a lesson from that, but most of us have to do it ourselves. If every time you messed up, you got cut off with the ears, you'd never grow. I mean, you've all raised children. And you all know that children, A, mess up innocently, but they also mess up on purpose. You look at a kid and you just know what's about to happen next, right? You can just see it going through his head. You don't kill your kid under those circumstances. What you do is you correct them, and you forgive them, you love them, and you move on. God wants to do that to you. And he has set it up so that your sins are paid for by the blood of Yeshua. I mean, that's pretty ultimate indication of what he wants to do. But that's his nature. He wants to forgive. If God wants to forgive, what's your problem? Why can't you forgive? We're supposed to be like Christ, right? That's the goal? Have a mind like Christ? That's the objective? Well, if he wants to forgive, what's your problem? So God wants to forgive. You should want to forgive also because you want to be like Messiah. Now, we've all got excuses why we shouldn't forgive. Most of it has to do with immaturity. The other thing that it happens to do with is an overdeveloped sense of justice. What happened to me is just not right. Yeah, that's probably true. Certainly it's true of Yeshua. And again, if Yeshua can get past this overdeveloped, immature sense of justice, I think you can probably do it too. Now, it's probably going to be harder for you, certainly harder for me. I had real trouble with that. We all do. But understand what the goal is. Now, one other thing before I go on. 
One of the things that you hear is, oh, you got to forgive yourself. There's a Hebrew word for that. Baloney. <laughs> Forgiveness is done by the injured party. Repentance is done by the perpetrator. Remember I said those two words are different? Different concepts. So, when you decide that you're going to forgive yourself... What that means is you have given yourself an excuse not to change your behavior. Now, the deal there is what you do is you go to God and you say, God, I have messed up. I have sinned. Please forgive me. I don't want to do that anymore. At which point God, because he wants to forgive you, will forgive you. At that point, guilt becomes a useless emotion. The only use for guilt is to bring you to a point of repentance where you go before God or you go before the injured party and you try and make it right. Once you've done that, guilt ceases to be useful. Drop it. That's different than forgiving yourself. Forgiving yourself, you circumvent the repentance part and you just go to the feel-good without having changed anything. This is pop psychology. This is modern world stuff. So when everybody says, you got to forgive yourself, just say, baloney. If I need forgiveness, I will go to the one who is injured, whether that's another party or God. I will obtain forgiveness if I can. In the case of God, you can. In case of the other person, that doesn't always work, but then we'll get there in a minute. And then I will move on. And I will not dwell on this anymore. Now, people will help you dwell on things. There's a story in my family, some of you may have heard, my wife tells it periodically, even though she wasn't there. When I was about four years old, we lived in South America, and my mother became pregnant with my youngest sister. And she had a difficult pregnancy, so she got shipped off to Trinidad for about a month, where they had a major hospital. The little base we were on you know, had a clinic, it didn't have a serious hospital. So here I was at four years old, my mother has gone for a month, and she comes back with this thing. And one day she sees me holding my sister and I'm walking toward the door. And she says, what are you doing, Johnny? I'm going to bury it in the jungle. <laughs> I've never been allowed to forget that. I mean, you do that one time and nobody ever lets you forget. <laughs> okay. So let's go through mechanics of forgiveness. Then this will all make sense. And where I'm getting this from is from a guy by the name of Dr. Stephen Marmer. And his comment is, the word forgiveness has been loaded with too much stuff. What he does is he breaks forgiveness down into three concepts. The first one is exoneration. And what exoneration does is it wipes the slate clean. The relationship goes on as if the offense had never happened. This is appropriate when, A, the offense was an accident. No evil intent on anybody's part. Something just happened and nobody's willful about this. So that's sort of thing one. The second one is that the person who does the injury is not capable of understanding what he did. Either because he doesn't understand or because he's a child. You know, We've got little kids there and they're going to do things that you're going to be grumpy about they need to be corrected, but basically they're innocent. And furthermore, you have a relationship that you intend to maintain. The other thing is if whoever did it is truly sorry, in other words, realizes the damage they've done, 
comes to you and gives a sincere and full apology. I realize what I did has harmed you. I am sorry. Please forgive me. Notice that there's no weasel words in there. There's no I'm sorry but. By the way, if under those circumstances where the perpetrator is innocent, it's a a mistake, just an accident, or the perpetrator makes a full and complete apology, if you can't forgive, you've got a problem. The problem is now with you. You have a hard heart. Under those circumstances, if you can't forgive, you need to look inside because you're the problem at that point. Now, the second case is what he calls forbearance. And forbearance is where you have to maintain a relationship with this person going forward. Member of the family, you know, my sister and I, for example. I couldn't get rid of her. I tried. So we still have a relationship that we have to maintain. You and your boss, you and your spouse, you and somebody in the community here that you're going to see every Shabbat. There's an ongoing relationship that you want to maintain. However, the repentance is not complete. Well, I know I did this, but you're partially responsible or something to that effect. Or the apology doesn't seem sincere. Sorry. So under those circumstances, what you're going to do is you're going to go forbearance, which is to say, I have still got to have a relationship with you. You have damaged me in some way. I'm going to maintain that relationship. I accept your apology, but I'm going to keep an eye on you. I'm going to keep an eye on you, and I'm going to be understanding that this could happen again, because you have not, in fact, repented for what you did. Now, the fact that you didn't repent, maybe it is, in fact, partially my fault. I mean, that's certainly entirely possible. In other words, when you have a fight, there's usually damage done, and usually the blame for that goes both ways. So full repentance may not be appropriate. But what you need to do is you need to let it go. You need to do away with your fantasies of revenge. And you have got to turn it loose. Because if you don't at this point, you're the one who continues to be damaged. So for your own spiritual well-being, you at that point have got to turn it loose. And you've got to maintain your relationship with this person. But there isn't anything wrong with sort of Keep an eye on them out of the corner of your eye. Because you don't have a clean slate like you did in the case of exoneration. You don't get to carry around a grudge. You don't get to plot your revenge. You don't get to go out and slash his tires. None of that stuff. You can't do that. you got to let it go. But understand it may happen again. And then the third one is what he calls release. And that applies when... The offender accepts no responsibility. Or, for example, those of you who came from dysfunctional families, my mother and father are dead. There isn't any way that I can go back to them and gain their atonement and give them forgiveness. It's not possible. Hit and run driver. Not possible. And so there what you'd want to do is release. And what you're doing there is you are saying, I am not going to be held prisoner by this incident. You do not need to maintain a relationship with that person. Remember, exoneration and forbearance, there is a relationship that we're going to maintain. We're going to keep being in relationship to each other, so we need to come to an accommodation. Either we need to get the slate wiped clean, or we need to 
come to the place where I can still work with you and, and socialize with you. In the case of a release, there is no such requirement. You need not deal with that person anymore. In other words, you may go to them and say, you really hurt me. And they may look at you and say, tough. That was what I had in mind. At that point, you have an enemy. And by the way, I looked it up last night because it really surprised me. There is no place in Scripture where it says to forgive your enemies. Think about that a minute. There's no place in Scripture where it says to forgive your enemies. Love them. Do them good. All sorts of things. But forgiveness is not used. That word is not used in connection with enemies in my translation of the Bible. So the fact of life is that you are going to accumulate enemies as you go through the world. Remember this goes with suffering. Suffering is also part of going through the world. And what you need to do in that situation is you need to prevent them from continuing to victimize you even after they're long gone. Which means that you must release. You must release these feelings that you have, the emotions that you have, the visions of vengeance that you have. You have to release that and you have to move on and let it go. Now, remember I said at the beginning of this, there is a difference between forgiveness and acceptance. A couple weeks ago, I was visiting Charlie in jail. Charlie's angry. Charlie is, from her perspective, and I, and I have not seen the trial transcript or anything like that, I'm just taking her to work. She's not that she's supposed to be there. So the fact that she is taking whatever legal means she can do to get out of there is different than her attitude to the people who put her in there. She must forgive them, but she does not have to accept the situation. She can continue to work and she continue to do all the things that she wants to do to get out of that situation. But she has got to quit harboring anger and bitterness at the people who put her in there because that is just keeping her doubly in jail. And I'm using her as an example. We've all been there. And so we've been put in jail, if you will, unjustly by someone. And then that someone moves on and goes on with his life and... Well, shoot, I don't have anybody to keep me in jail anymore. I guess I'll do it myself. And that's the place that you've got to get out of. You've got to get out of jail. You've got to say, I'm not going to be in jail anymore. I'm done with that. The person who put me there is a rotten so-and-so, and I'm going to release them, which means I'm not going to harbor resentment. I'm not going to give demons any place to attach. I'm not going to live my life in the jail that they tried to put me in. And that's hard. I will tell you right up front. That's difficult. As somebody once said, that's graduate-level Christianity. I'm not suggesting that it's easy. But I'm suggesting the first step is to divide this concept of forgiveness into the three parts that I have given you. So that in the case where exoneration is important, where your kid has done something scummy, or where your spouse has done something scummy, or whatever, whoever, and you've got to maintain that relationship, what you need to do is get to exoneration, which means the slate's wiped clean. I am not looking at you out of the corner of my eye anymore. I'm not going to do that. Our relationship is going to go back to innocence. In the case where you can't get an apology, maybe you need to go to forbearance. I'm still going to the same church. You stay in the kitchen. I'll stay in the prayer room and... We'll still be in a relationship and we'll still pray together, but I'm sort of watching out of the corner of my eye. And that may be the appropriate thing. Where you don't have a clearing of the air. 
And then the final is release, where you decide there's no way that this relationship can go on, it can't be repaired, but I am not going to live in jail because of that relationship. I'm done. I'm not going to do that anymore. How do you know when you have achieved forgiveness? It's the last thing. How do you know when you've been successful? Remember, the incident doesn't go away. Whatever happened to you is going to be there. The way I describe it, if you stack those incidents up like bricks, they become strongholds. If you lay those incidents horizontally, it becomes pavement. You can walk over pavement. You can't walk through a stronghold. The brick is still there. The memory is still there. The incident still happened. The question is, is it come a wall in front of you that is keeping you in this prison, or is it going to become pavement under your feet? But understand that you will know that you've been successful when you can look at that brick, and instead of tripping over it, you can walk over it. So, don't let anybody put you in prison.